G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. Audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. The series is meant to show us that the more we know about Jesus, the more we'll know about ourselves. And the more we know about ourselves, the more we're going to realize the treasures that we have in Christ. Hi, and welcome to Today with Jeff Vines. Today, we'll hear about Babylon, Bethlehem, and baptism. I'm keen to hear the connection between these three. Pastor Jeff starts with sharing how the Babylonians and also the Romans who ruled at the time of Christ's birth studied the stars and the comets in space extensively. There was some part of the culture that believed comets especially were like heralds of important events on earth. When a comet appears in the celestial, something's going to happen in the terrestrial. This is Today with Jeff Vines. Uh, I got a lot to cover. We're going to have to get into it quickly. It's going to be rapid fire. I want to tell you, if you're a first-time visitor, the sermons don't typically take this form or nature. Uh, There's about 80 hours of research and study in this one. I hope you're ready. We're going to go after this pretty hard. Turn in Matthew chapter uh, 2, Matthew the Gospel, first book of the New Testament, Matthew chapter 2. We're in a series called Now I See. And the series is meant to show us that the more we know about Jesus, the more we'll know about ourselves. And the more we know about ourselves, the more we're going to realize the treasures that we have in Christ. And so I want you to help me as we get started here and as you're turning to Matthew 2. Uh, tell me what you see on the screen right now. What is this? Big Dipper. Oh, right on the front row. Big Dipper. This is a Big Dipper. Uh, Big Dipper is part of a constellation. A constellation is a group of, of stars that seem to observers to form a certain pattern. The pattern here is the Big Dipper, and it's actually part of Ursa Major. Now, here's another one that shows you the Big Dipper and the Little Dipper. And the constellation here is Ursa Minor. So you have Big Dipper or the Great Bear and Little Dipper or the Little Bear in the constellations of Ursa Major, Ursa Minor. You also have what is known as Draco, if you understand this. This is a constellation. It's Latin for dragon. And the reason it's called dragon is because it appears to look like the outline of a dragon, at least to those who name the stars in the constellations. Also, you have Hercules, which contains 15 stars with planets as well. One of the more famous is Pegasus, the constellation in the northern sky. It's named after a wing horse in uh, Greek mythology. Uh, It's one of the 48 constellations listed by the second century uh, astronomer by the name of Ptolemy, and it's still listed today as one of the 88 modern constellations. Pegasus also is the seventh largest constellation in our sky. It occupies 1,121 square degrees. That's huge. So currently, as you look into the night sky, uh, as people outline these patterns, you have 14 men and women, nine birds, two insects, 19 land animals, 10 water creatures, two centaurs, one head of hair, a serpent, a dragon, a flying horse, a river, and 29 inanimate objects. The reason I began like that is because man has been studying to some degree or another and observing the stars and the planets since we inhabited planet Earth. But perhaps no one studied the stars more 
and drew out the constellations, marked and recorded the constellations, than the Babylonians. They documented and recorded all the way back to the time of Jesus, meteor showers, eclipses, and especially comets that happened during the time or during the days of Jesus. Now, I say that because the Babylonian wise men, this is important, the Babylonian wise men believed that the major terrestrial events were predicted and even demonstrated by celestial events. Here's what that means. They believed that before major world events happened on planet Earth, they were first demonstrated and drawn out in the celestial skies. Now, before you think I've gone nutso on you and I've become an astrologist, that is not what this sermon is about. I just want you to hear me as I tell you a little bit of the history of what was going on in the first century around and in the time of Jesus. As a matter of fact, it wasn't only... uh, the, the Greeks, the Romans, the Egyptians, uh, the Hebrews as well, there was some part of the culture that believed that comets especially were like heralds of important events on earth. You even had the philosophers like Plato, Aristotle, and Seneca, a first century uh, Stoic, write out and map and believe that cometary apparitions were heralds of something that was coming, that was imminent. When a comet appears in the celestial, something's going to happen in the terrestrial. As a matter of fact, if you've ever seen comets, or if you're a stargazer, you'll know they are incredible. They're spectacular. Halley's Comet, one of the most famous comets, uh, discovered in 1705. Then there's Comet Hale-Bopp, named after two guys who were kind of comet freelancers. Alan Hale and Thomas Bopp, they discovered it in, or at least saw it for the first time down in New Mexico, July 23rd, 1995, and it belongs to the constellation Sagittarius. Uh, the Great Comet of 18, or sorry, of 1680, November 14th. It's an amazing comet because it's believed to have an orbital period of 9,000 plus years. There have been many other comets recorded in the first century. As a matter of fact, in my research this week, uh, there were 87 comets documented around the time of Christ in that one or two year, uh, years. 87 to the naked eye, which means there are probably more. And it's not that they were just incredible astronomical spectacles. The Romans themselves, who were in power at that time, saw the comets and their appearance as greatly significant to what was going to happen in the terrestrial plane. As a matter of fact, I read this past week where if you saw a comet and you were a leader in Roman culture, it meant that your time as leadership was coming to an end. So much so, Nero believed in it so much that he had a friend who was an astrologist, and when the comet appeared that Nero saw and he witnessed it night after night. He became fearful. So he asked his friend what to do. And he said, all you have to do is turn the demise that the comet is targeting on you toward your nobleman. So he killed all the noblemen to prevent the comet from predicting something that would happen to him. Now, it's not only with the Romans though. It goes all across the far and near East into Europe The idea was that every world leader in that day wanted to be kept abreast by the astronomers of any movement in the constellations that might indicate something about the terrestrial plane. In fact, there's a historian respected called Pliny the Elder. He actually drew out a whole set of principles by which cometary apparitions could be interpreted. So he would say, if you take note of the comet's appearance, where it is in the sky, where the tail is pointed of the comet, then you could determine the nature and geographical location of the doom. And he writes this, right out of history, in natural history. If it looks like a flute, he says, referring to the comet, it's an omen regarding the art of music. If it appears in private parts of constellations, it is an omen for immoral behavior. It portends genius and erudition if it forms an equilateral triangle or rectangular quadrilateral in relation to some fixed stars. And it portends poisonings if it appears in the head of either northern or southern serpent, another figure in the constellation. 
They believe that when comets appear, they do so in particular places for a particular reason, a celestial play to act out the actual events that would soon happen in the terrestrial plane. Now, I want you to take that and set it over aside for a moment and stay with me on this. You'll, at the end of this, you'll say, okay, but stay with me. The other side, you know, if you know anything about Israel's history, that the Babylonians came in and took them captive, remember, in the Old Testament. And so Nebuchadnezzar came into the city of Jerusalem twice. The first time he came, he laid waste to the city. Sorry, the second time he came, he laid waste to the city. He destroyed Jerusalem. He, uh, there was murder and slaughter, atrocities. But the first time he came, he didn't take any life. The first time he came, he just carted off the wise men of the Hebrews, 10,000 of them, the people who were the educators, the teachers, the professionals, the scholars. He carted 10,000 of the Hebrews off as well as their families because his plan was there's no need to go into war. All I'm going to do is take these 10,000 sharp, wise men in the he- among the Hebrews, uh, of which Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were part, and I'm going to hold them captive. I'm going to take these 10,000 and I'm going to educate them in Babylonialism. I'm going to Babylonialize them so that I'm going to change their worldview and then I'll send them back in to Israel. And because they are the teachers, the influencers, those who are responsible for the arts and sciences, I will uproot the biblical worldview in one generation and they'll never remember it. But it kind of backfired on King Nebuchadnezzar because he had no idea that he was going to introduce the strong men and like Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And what happened? He thought he was going to influence the influence. They influenced him. Daniel, Shadrach, and Meshach, and Abednego, they were so strong in their dietary laws. They were unshakable. And they knew the, the Hebrew scriptures. They were well-versed. And so what happens is we read in history, the Babylonian astronomers and the astrologers suddenly became familiar with all the messianic prophecies in the Hebrew scripture. They started to know them better than the Hebrews themselves because the Hebrews were dispersed. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and Daniel had a great influence and impact on them. So that by the time we come to the birth of Jesus in the first century, the Magi or the Babylonian wise men, because most scholars believe the wise men, the Magi came from Babylon. They were the gurus of astronomy. By the time we get to the first century, they know the Hebrew scriptures. They know them well. They know the king is one day is going to come. Now, I'm not saying they believe he's going to be God in the flesh, but they know he's special. And they know the signs that are associated with the king coming. And they are most definitely familiar with the messianic passages in the scripture. For instance, passages like Numbers 24. I see him, but not now. I behold him, but not near. A star will come out of Jacob. A scepter will rise out of Israel. In Isaiah chapter 9, the people walking in darkness have seen a great light. And then the passage in Micah where Bethlehem is referred to as you might be small among the clans of Judah, but out of you will come somebody. He'll be ruler over Israel. His origins are from old, from ancient times. Now take those two pieces of information, the manner in which the first century looked at comets and astronomical occurrences and how they affected the terrestrial plane and the fact that the Babylonians now in the first century when Jesus is born are the gurus of astronomy and they have been inundated with the Hebrew scriptures because of the Hebrew exile. And now put that together with this. If you fast forward to a post-ascension, when the early church begins, we learn something. That is, not all, but many of the early church fathers believed that these passages, Numbers 24, a star will come out of Jacob, a scepter will rise out of Israel. Isaiah 9-2, that there is darkness, but they have seen a great light. And you, Bethlehem, out of you will rise a ruler. They interpreted and understood these passages to refer to a star, a great light, and more specifically, the Bethlehem star, and they believed that the Bethlehem star was a great comet. This is Today with Jeff Vines. 
Today the message is called Babylon, Bethlehem and Baptism and we're hearing about the study of space in the time of Christ's birth, including the Bethlehem star. The great light, the same great light that lit the way for the Magi, the same light that led them to Bethlehem. Many of the early church fathers, in retrospect, looking back, with all the history and everything that was described, even by Matthew himself, believed that the great light, the star of Bethlehem, was a comet of amazing proportions. That's why they'll tell you that when the Magi arrive in Matthew chapter two, that the first question they ask is, where is this one who's called the king of the Jews? And they said, we saw his star at its rising. That's the original language and have come to worship here. What did they mean at its rising? Well, just quickly before I read the quote, Comets have what is known as a heliacal rising. It's the time when the sun no longer overshadows them, but because their proximity to the sun, they have moved away, and now the comet comes into full view, at least from the naked eye. Origen, one of those early church fathers, writes this, and I quote word for word here. He says, we consider that the star that was seen at its rising, the heliacal rising of the comet, was a new star and not like any of the normal celestial bodies, either those in a fixed sphere or those in a lower sphere. Rather, it should be reckoned with the celestial bodies which occur from time to time known as hairy stars. Hairy stars are what the first century people called comets. Beams, beards, white wine jars, because comets looked like these things or any other such name by which the Greeks like to describe their various forms. He goes on to say, he says, why would it be a surprise that the star that should have appeared at the birth of the one who was going to introduce new ideas to the human race and to reveal his teaching, not only the Jews, but the Greeks and the Gentiles and the barbarians, why should we be surprised? Then he says, I would point out with respect to comets that there's no prophecy about comets in circulation stating that such and such a comet would appear at the rise of a particular kingdom or particular time. However, The star which appeared at Jesus' birth had been prophesied by Balaam, recorded by Moses, and when he said, a star shall appear out of Jacob and men, a man shall rise up out of Israel. So early church father Origen basically said that comets were usually in general, but not the Christ comet. It was specific. Now, what was it that was so specific? We've got a lot of questions to ask, don't we? I mean, how, how does all this work? Well, In regards to this, first of all, there are people down through the centuries who understood the language of origin and the early church fathers. Giotto di Bondone, the medieval Italian artist, painted a fresco entitled The Adoration of the Magi and Padua's Arena Chapel. And in this painting, he portrays the star of Bethlehem as a comet. If you'll notice in the picture, it's like a bright star with a tail. He had fully grasped origin's intentions. In memory of the Giotto painting, the European Space Agency named the robotic spacecraft sent to explore Halley's Comet, as well as the entire mission, they named it Giotto. There are many questions. What led the early church fathers to draw this conclusion of the Bethlehem star? Does the text in Matthew chapter 2 harmonize well with a comet, rather than just a simple star? What is it that the Magi actually saw in Babylon to get them to drop everything, travel 500 plus miles over the desert to get to Jerusalem and finally to Bethlehem? What did they see? I mean, just a comet would do this? Hey, there's a comet. The Christ child is born. (laughs) No. How did they connect the comet with what they understood from Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego that had been passed down after generation after generation? What did they see the comet do? How did it respond? How did they respond that inspired them to believe I put the Hebrew Messianic prophecies together with what I just saw and the Christ child has been born. Let's go see him. What happened? To understand that, let me go back again. Comets have what is called a heliacal rising. The heliacal rising is the first visible sight of the comet after it has been invisible because of proximity to the sun. Second, 
The star of Bethlehem is said to have risen in the zodiacal constellations. The zodiacal constellation is the band of sky either side of the ecliptic along which the sun and the moon and major planets traverse. So the question was, stay with me now. It'll come together. If you're like, right now, or you're like, <laughs> stay with me. I promise, you know how this goes. You've been around me long enough. We take a piece here and a piece here, and then it all comes together. So stay with me. Well, if the, if, the, if the Christ comet appeared, if a comet appeared, in which constellation did it appear? And what did it do when it appeared in the constellation that influenced the Magi? Did it appear in Aries, the Ram, Taurus, the Bull, Gemini, the Twins, Cancer, Leo, Virgo, Libra, Scorpius, Sagittarius? What happened? Now, this is important because the early church fathers answered the question. And the early church fathers believed not all of them now, but many of them, enough to take note of, believed that what the star did in connection, what the comet did in connection with its heliacal rising is recorded in the Bible in Revelation 12, 1 through 5. When we did our Revelation series, I explained to you how the book of Revelation as a whole is cyclical. That's how it's best understood. It's the oldest form of understanding, Revelation. That is that Revelation is designed to describe for you the types of events that are going to happen on planet Earth from the time Jesus establishes his kingdom in first advent until the time he comes in the second advent. So it will put up metaphors and signs and symbols on the stage, communicate the types of events that will happen during this period, wipe the stage clean and start it all over again. Cycle after cycle, there are six cycles. Part of that cycle, obviously, is going to include the birth of Christ. And many of the early church fathers believed the birth was included at least once in Revelation 12. Now, you could understand why. If you're familiar with Revelation 12, you read about a woman who's clothed with the sun and the moon's under her feet and she has a crown on her head with stars. She becomes pregnant. She's about to deliver a baby. There's a dragon that's about ready to devour the baby. And then the dragon is frustrated because he can't devour the baby. And then he flings a third of the stars. Now, to the early church and the church fathers, Revelation 12, 1 through 5 was a celestial play of what was going to happen in the terrestrial. Think about it. Verse one says, a great sign appeared in heaven. The Greek word for sign is the same as constellation. So the early church Christian understanding of a great sign would appear in the constellation announcing the birth of Jesus. What was the great sign? It says a woman clothed with the sun and the moon under her feet. Now to you and me, that doesn't mean a lot. To astronomers, it does. Listen carefully now. The sun and the moon traverse the heavens along the ecliptic. That is the plane on which the earth orbits the sun. Let me say it again. The sun and the moon traverse the heavens along the ecliptic. That's the plane on which the earth and the sun or earth orbits the sun. The fact that they are here respectively described as clothing the woman and as being under her feet. So you have the sun and the moon in a certain position and the earth. They say that it makes it clear that the female, whoever she is in the constellations is situated in one of the zodiacal constellations. And she's one of the zodiacal constellation figures. But the only female zodiacal constellation figure is Virgo, the virgin. Virgo is often pictured as having wings, which she's given in Revelation 12, 14. She's also pictured as a virgin of childbearing age. She's also a mother of a young maiden who gives birth to a child, or she's seen as a mother uh, or a young maiden who gives birth to a child. And to the naked eye, what's even interesting to the naked eye Hydra, which is another constellation figure located immediately to the south of Virgo, rises in the eastern sky on her left side and is often referred to as a serpentine dragon. Now, if you know the story in Revelation 12, verse 3 says that after the woman is ready to give birth, then there's a dragon who appears. 
and he's ready to devour the child. Stephen Binko, in a work called The Virgin Goddess, Studies in Pagan and Christian Roots, says that any Greek or Roman reading Revelation 12.1 would have immediately thought of the constellation Virgo. A woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and a crown of 12 stars on her head. And the tall crown that we're talking about, this is kind of an outline of the figure of Virgo. And the crown has 12 stars in it, literally, in the constellations. And this is the tall crown, as was very popular in the ancient Near East. It was actually it was popular for royalty in Assyria, in Babylon, in Egypt, in Parthia, and of course, in and around the time of Jesus. Now stay with me. Not only that, but between 7 and 2 BC, we know, astronomically speaking, that between 7 and 2 BC, we know the times and seasons when the sun was in Virgo. This is a constellation when the sun would have clothed Virgo. We can narrow it down. And we can further narrow it down when the moon ventured under Virgo's feet to make it appear like the moon was at the virgin's feet. And it would have been between 4 and 2 BC, which is exactly the time of the birth of Christ. We also know that to the Egyptian mind, the Roman mind, to the Babylonian mind, when a woman is clothed with the sun, they worship the sun as God. So if the virgin is clothed with the sun and is about to have a son or a child, the child would belong in their minds to God. We read, she was pregnant and cried out in pain. This is the verse where the Christ comet or the Bethlehem star emerges. This is what compelled the Magi. Remember what we're asking. Okay, we're kind of out there right now, but how does all this fit together? What did they see? What did they see? What did these Babylonian wise men see that made them think, wow, the Hebrew prophecies are coming to fruition. We've just seen demonstrated in the constellations, the birth of Christ. Let's go to Jerusalem. Let's go to Judea. What did they see? And the early church believed that there was essentially a series of pre-dawn comet observations in the eastern sky as Virgo was heliacally rising. And the first glimpse they got of Virgo, let me demonstrate it for you here. The first glimpse they got of Virgo, here's what they saw. The comet appears, the comet rises, and it goes into Virgo's womb. And then it descends and drops as if she's delivered a child. The dragon, Drago, stands up as if it's going to devour the child. And then they see the comet move toward Jerusalem. That would have happened not in a day or two, but over a period of time as they were watching the celestial play. Then it dawned on them, this is the time, this is the season. And they began to make their way toward Jerusalem. This is Today with Jeff Vines. We'll have to leave it there for today, but join us next time as we'll continue this fascinating look at Babylon, Bethlehem and baptism. You can never put God in a box and limit the manner in which He will reveal Himself to people who are far from Him because the Bible says it is not His will that anybody should perish, but all should have everlasting life. And let me point out something. One star led them to Jesus and He knows the one star that will lead you to Him as well. Today with Jeff Vines, just another way vision is connecting faith to your life.
for taking time to listen to this audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, go to vision.org.au.